You can give them a hand. They did a great job. That was awesome. Man, when they were singing, were you guys, were you guys in the first service? Was anybody in the first service? Did the lights go out over there? Yeah. yeah. So they went out over here. I mean, you would, I mean, it was with middle schoolers. They went nuts. They were like, they weren't sure what to do. And, and so finally he started getting them all singing acapella. To get seventh, fifth through eighth graders singing acapella when lights are all out, that takes skill, mad skills. I was very impressed because I would have thought all of them would have just started running around screaming their heads off. But they did a great job. Sorry if you have siblings that are in that. And you're like, my, not my kid, not my sister, brother. Is this a capo? I don't use that in my message. But All right. Uh, I'm Brian. For those of you who weren't here uh, last night, how many of you were not a part of Connect last night? Anybody? Okay, so we got a pretty fair group. You guys have your own life that you were busy doing. Last night we talked about how Jesus was calling all of us to be quitters. And I know that's not typically what we think of, because if your parents are like my parents, they said stuff like, hey, finish what you, yeah, yeah, that's how you receive it too, right, you started, like I'm, my parents got the same memo book, every parent, you'll pass it on to your kids, you'll sing that chorus to them, as much as you try not to, you'll find yourself saying it, but there are some things that we're called to quit, and if we're going to follow Jesus, he called us to quit three things, and we talked about this last night. And I'll just review these. First of all, when when Jesus says, follow me, he says we need to quit thinking we're in charge, that we're going to approach life one of two ways when it comes to this Bible, when it comes to the Scripture. We're going to either choose to live here or we're going to choose to live here. And what what we're talking about is many of us will go, you know what, I'll apply what I think I should apply from this Bible, but if it doesn't really fit with what I want to do or with where I want to go or what I feel like I want to have happen, then that's fine. And so when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's saying, no, you've got to live under here, that I'm going to live under the authority of Scripture, under the authority of God, that I'm not in charge anymore, that he is, and I'm going to get my directions and instructions from him. The other thing we talked about was quick comparing, and I don't know about you, but this is something I've struggled with my whole life, of just the exhaustion of wishing that I was, I just fill in the blank, I wish I was just like, and I'd fill in the blank, a person, or I wish I had as much money as, or I w- and it's always this sense of comparing, and I talked about a ladder, and how we tend to go up the ladder, we look up the ladder, and we think, I wish I was more like them, or I wish I had what they had. Or we look down the ladder, and we go, well, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not like that girl. And so there's this sense of comparison. And when we get into that mode of either trying to impress impressive people, uh, what happens is we get just exhausted from trying to prove ourselves all the time, trying to get more likes, trying to get more uh, noticing on any of our social media channels. Whatever it might be, it's just an exhausting life. And so Jesus says, man, we need to quit it. Uh, and ultimately, if we're in the whole mindset of impressing impressive people or impressing other people, the only way to get out of that is try to improve somebody who's not that impressive, to seek those that are kind of the lower than. The first will be last, the last will be first. How do I seek to serve those that nobody really puts value on? Uh, the last thing we talked about was just chasing stuff that we think will satisfy us more than God. And I talked a little bit about how I would torture my Jack Russell Terrier by blowing soap bubbles out, and he would go out and bite these things. And he would get exhausted in five minutes because he hated to see any of those bubbles drop to the ground. And it was really cruel torture, but it, it got him winded. And if you have had a Jack Russell, that's what you have to do, get him exhausted as quick as possible. And every time he was biting one of these bubbles, he thought they would satisfy him because they're shiny. They look cool. And instead, he just got a mouthful of soap, which tastes terrible. If you ever, and if you haven't known what a dog goes through, you should go blow some soap bubbles today. That's your assignment today. Blow them and see what my dog went through, and you'll want to drink a gallon of water just like he did. And in life, we have things that pass before our eyes every day that we go, oh, that'll make me feel good. 
that'll make me feel good. I want, I want to chase that, whether it's money, power, accolades, porn, whatever it might be, we chase uh, to, to look good in front of others, the accomplishments, the accolades, and ultimately it never satisfies. The only thing that can satisfy us is Christ. So he calls us to quit a few things, and then today what I want to talk about, in order to follow him, we need, there's one thing that we never quit. There's one thing that we never quit. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn on the screen to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, or if you've got your actual physical Bible, which would be impressive. I like to see people with um, actual Bibles as well. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And this is going to be one thing that he called us to never quit. Starts off in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's talking about everybody he just talked about in chapter 11. Now, before I get into this, I'll just say that what I'm going to talk about today, the thing that we're called to never quit, can be done by anybody. You don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to have a seminary degree. Uh, Too often we think that, well, I'll follow God when I get my act together. When I finally start deciding I want to live, until then, I'll just fake it till I make it. I'll just kind of come to church. Uh, I, I hear the stuff. I listen to the songs. But ultimately, I'll follow God when I finally want to get my act together. The people that we see in chapter 11 are not people who had their act together. And they couldn't keep their act together either. Even once they started following God, they made a ton of mistakes. If you look at chapter 11, it's filled with names that are pretty familiar to you. Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob. You've got Rahab. You've got Gideon. You've got Samson. You've got others in there that everybody knows as the great hall of faith. Anybody heard chapter 11 called the great hall of faith? Okay, none of you. Great. Um, It shouldn't be called that. It should be called the average hall of faith because these people are pretty average. They're pretty messed up. They They might seem to think that they're heroes, but if you look at their life... In fact, when anybody ever go to vacation Bible school as a kid? Anybody go to a little kid camp or a Bible camp? Did you ever sing the song, uh, Father Abraham? Okay, yeah. So it kind of goes like this. Those of you who know it, it goes, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Uh, let's just praise the Lord. Okay, we're not doing that. We're not going through it. We're not. I know you want to do. You probably, probably wake you up this morning if we end up doing all that. But the thing about Father Abraham, if you see him in chapter 11, it talks about in verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go a place that he was to receive his inheritance. And by faith he was called to sacrifice his son. It talks about all these great acts of faith that he did. But the thing about Abraham is that one of the things that he, that he did as well was that he lied multiple times about his wife. He said that his wife was actually his sister, which is just weird on many different levels because he thought that Pharaoh would want to take his wife and put her in a harem because she was... I guess a hottie. I don't know what the deal was, but that was Sarah. And Abraham said, well, if, if, if he knows that you're my wife, then he's going to kill me. So he hid behind the skirts of his wife by saying she's my sister. He didn't just do this once. He did it twice, which makes him, in my book, a pathological liar. And so we could redo the song, Father Abraham told many lies. Many lies told Father Abraham. I tell him too, and so do you. So let's just praise the Lord. That's what I think the real VBS song should be. Because that's who Abraham was. Now, how many of us are liars? If you didn't raise your hand, you just lied. So, we're all liars. We see Gideon, who's a guy who doubted God over and over and over again. We see Moses, who murdered a guy. Any murderers in here? I doubt it. I see that hand. Um, He was also a stutterer. He has speech impediment. He wasn't like the greatest guy in the world. You look through each one of these. Rahab was a prostitute, and she's mentioned in here. 
And I'm guessing as I look out into this room, I'm not seeing any murderers. I'm not seeing any prostitutes, I hope. I'm not seeing um, those that, that, might, that might look out and have doubted God over and over and over again. I, I don't know, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? We're probably in good company. If you feel average, if you feel like you don't have your act together, if you feel like it's hard to keep your act together, you could be in that hall of faith. It's a very average hall of faith. And so when we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, since we're surrounded by those witnesses, by all those folks, then um, we should take encouragement because we're just like them. We're just like them. And so he talks about how let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The one thing that we're to never quit throughout our life is that idea of looking to Jesus, to fix our eyes on Christ, to focus on him. And that's frankly hard to do in a world filled with distractions. I was a rower in high school. Anybody had... anybody? know a rower or was a rower. There's like a bunch of rowers in, in Austin. There was actually one rower that was here in the last group that was one of the helpers. She was a coxswain who was the one that was at the back of the boat or the front of the boat because you're rowing backwards. She's yelling instructions. And generally when I was, I was the guy, the first rower, and so I was sitting close enough to the coxswain to smell what they had for breakfast that morning. And usually it was like breakfast tacos, which wasn't good, especially when you're sitting that close and they're barking out orders and they're setting the pace. And so you're in this long, skinny boat. I think we got a picture of one. And I was in, in high school. When you get into this boat, and the, the thing that the coach will say over and over and over again, that the key to being a good rower and to making this boat really go smoothly through the water is that you have to fix your eyes on the person right in front of you. you have to, if your eyes were lasers, they'd bore a hole in the back of the neck of the person in front of you. And there's one cardinal rule to rowing, that, that if, you, if you break the rule... It means you lose power, and many times it means that you can, you can catch what they call catch a crab where your oar actually goes under the boat. Not a good thing because it stops you completely. And, the, and that rule is this. Never let, your boats go, never let your eyes go out of the boat. Never let your eyes go out of the boat. I was in state championship. Our boat had won pretty much every race up until that point in time. And as we're rowing, we're getting towns towards the end. There's a four-team race, basically three. There were two boats that were slightly ahead of us, and there was our boat. And the two, all of a sudden, as we're getting right towards the end, there's another boat, a fourth boat that was over here, but they were pretty much out of the race. And we were rowing, we were catching up, we were getting down to the last 500 meters, and all of a sudden we hear oars clash. The two boats right next to us, their oars, the coxswains had steered them a little too close together, their oars clash. So what do you think all of our eyes did that were rowers? No, we stayed focused, because over and over and over again we heard eyes in the boat. No, we looked. And right when we looked... Our coxswain screamed, eyes in the boat! And the reason why he screamed was because he saw that, that right when our eyes go out of the boat, you just lose that bit of power. And the fourth boat that was pretty much out of the race went right by us, won the race by a half of a second. State championship, half of a second. I'm still, I'm still bitter. That hurts. That hurts. But it serves as an illustration that, you know, you, the goal is to fix the eyes. It's to focus because when you let focus go, bad things happen. Same thing is true in life. When I, I, I lose my focus on Christ and I start focusing on everything else, and there's a lot of things that we can focus on instead of Christ, right? Name some. What are some things that we could be focusing on instead of Christ? Great. This is the interactive part of the program. What's that? 
Phones, got it. I think he said he bones, and I was like, whoa, that's really weird. It's like almost Halloween. Phones, yes, screens. That was one of the ones I put on there. Relationships, school. And I put schedules. I mean, just your schedules are busy, aren't they? Are you guys, do you guys stu- suffer from busy schedules, right? Screens, struggles, things that we might go through, maybe a sickness that we're going through, a struggle with a friend, self. We just spend way too much time in our head and think about ourselves all the time. Or maybe it's a sin uh, that plagues us. It's really, you know, these things in light of God are these things, and when you think about these things compared to God, is God bigger than these things? The answer is yes, he's, he's bigger than these things. But these things, these small things, whether it's even our phones, compared to God, our phone is, is pretty small. But it's amazing how quickly that this can, can blot out God. Now, you know in church how um, we always ask for money? Like you pass the plate every Sunday and we ask for money. Well, I want to give you some money. Is that okay? Okay, so if I could have the ushers come forward, we're going to give you some money. That's not much, but it is something. So you can't say that you never got any money from church. So I'm going to give everybody a quarter. Okay? I know, don't spend it all in one place, but I'm going to give you a quarter. Okay, grab, grab a quarter. That would be, yeah, that, that would still not be worth much, right? So everyone grab a quarter, and then there's going to be some Sharpies that are going to go around. The Sharpies are going to be for you to write on the quarter. There won't be one per person, but you'll have to share them. But. So everyone get a quarter, pass it out. What's that? I know. Don't be stealing. Don't be, don't be getting 50 cents so you can get a Coke. Well, I guess you can't even buy a Coke for 50 cents anymore. Okay, grab a quarter. And we got, are the Sharpies going out too? They're kind of coming out. It took a lot longer with the, uh, I was hoping it wouldn't take as long with the high schoolers as it would the, uh, the junior high, but we only have one guy passing out Sharpies. Dan's the only guy. Can anybody go help Dan pass out some Sharpies to get some Sharpies out to folks? That would be awesome. Okay, if you have your quarter, raise your quarter up in the air. Okay, everyone's got a quarter. Okay, this is not a trick question. Compared to the sun, is the quarter bigger or smaller than the sun? <laughs> it is smaller. There is a way that you can make this quarter blot out the sun. There's a way that you can make this small thing make the sun go invisible. You can actually do it with the lights in here if they're pointed at you. All you need to do is close one eye and bring your quarter up to wherever the light is. As long as you focus on the quarter, the light will vanish. Okay? Now, when you leave here today, you can go outside and you don't need any special glasses to do this, but you can create your own mini eclipse by going out and you close one eye and you put this quarter up to wherever the sun is and you can block out the sun with this quarter. Now, I don't know how many quarters could fit into a sun, but my guess is, is more than we could ever count and probably more than has ever been minted because the sun is huge or huge compared to this quarter. What happens is I can, I can let the sun vanish if all I do is focus on the smallness of this quarter. And that's what happens in life is that we get our eyes out of the boat when we focus on whether it's a sin, whether it's a struggle, whether it's relationships, whether it's screen, Whatever it might be, it's really easy to eventually let that small thing compared to God take up all the light of God. 
And what I want you to do is, I, I, know, I don't know where you are in life right now. I don't know where your struggles are. We don't know each other. But I would love for you to think of the, the one thing that might represent what it is that so often causes your eyes to go out of the boat. And maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's with somebody you know you shouldn't be in with. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a desire. It's like this craving for success. And I want you to think about whatever that would be represented by, whether it's a picture or whether it's a letter. And I want you to write that on your quarter. For me, if I would have answered, if somebody asked me that question when I was your age, the letter that I would have written down was P. Was P. When I was eight years old, I... Um, I had someone introduce me to porn. Guess who that was? Any guesses of who an eight-year-old would be introduced porn from? What my brother? That's a good guess. Not my, that's usually the next big guess, which is sad, isn't it? That some would think. But that's what happens. Most, most kids are introduced by a family member, either a brother. No, it was actually my girlfriend. I know. Eight years old. Now... Now, let me back up. Girlfriend meant that I checked the box. Like, do you like me? That's, that's all that meant. And there was a girl that I hung out with. Her name was Cammie. She was a neighbor. And I remember that uh, after school one day, she took, me, she took me over to her house. Her parents were there. And she said, hey, I want to show you the magazines that my dad looks at. And she pulled out some magazines from a, a box underneath the bed. And I saw things that I was like, I didn't really know what I was looking at. I thought girls were just missing parts of their bathing suits. Honestly, I'm eight years old. I'm not really thinking much. And then when I was 11, I was at a birthday party and a, and, a, and a mom of all people, I still can't believe this, put on a movie after cake and ice cream uh, that was called Private Lessons. It wasn't about swimming. And as we're blushing, the mom said, what's wrong? Haven't you seen girls in bikinis before? At the time, I didn't know that that was a form of child abuse, but that planted a seed in my brain. Those images can't be erased. And As I grew older, there became a craving, a desire. Now, when I was your age, porn wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is today. You know, now no longer the box isn't under the bed, it's in your back pocket. And it's not just a guy problem. Three out of ten porn users are now girls. And so it's becoming a prevalent issue. And I say all that to say this, is that, you know, porn, the reason why it's so intoxicating for especially teens, especially kids your age, 95% of of kids in your age group will see porn by the time they leave high school. The average boy leaving high school is watching on average 50 online clips a week. It's a serious thing. The reason why that's the case is because it taps into this. We know enough from brain science now to know that it taps into the same neurochemicals as cocaine and heroin. What we've done with the internet is we've produced the first world's first visual drug. And, and listen, just, and I, I'm, this isn't a talk about porn, but all I would say is there's a reason why God says flee it, because ultimately if that becomes your focus that takes away God, what ends up happening is it might fuel you for a second. You might get a high for a second, but when you come down off, off of that high, you just want more and more and more. Why? Because it taps into this. It's all a brain thing. It taps into the same neurochemicals as heroin and cocaine. So if you want to get to hooked on something that's just as addictive as heroin and cocaine, keep looking at porn. And if ultimately you really want to connect with another human being, just to, just to know this, that every time that you're looking at porn, you're training your brain to be aroused by pixels rather than people. And the one thing you're designed for is to have a relation and connection, not just with Christ, but with another human being. And eventually when you want to get into a relationship with another human being, your brain won't actually allow you to do that very well. And so it creates expectations that reality can't meet. 
And lastly, it's also fueling the greatest rise in slavery that the world has ever known. There's more slaves today than any time in human history, and 80% of those are in the sex trafficking industry, much of which is fueled by porn. I say all to say not to heap shame or guilt, but I just know that for me, if I was 14 today, I wouldn't make it because that was the letter that I would have put on my coin. My coin. And, uh, and if it wasn't for a 10-year battle with, with a lot of people around me helping me get out of that and finally admitting to it, uh, I, I think I'd be hooked today because it's just too easy and too accessible. So I, I don't know what yours is. I don't know what you would write on that, but I do know this, that when it blots out God... It eventually, it doesn't, it, it, it hurts you. It harms you. It keeps you from joy. It keeps you from peace. And every time I was looking at that stuff, I never felt whole. So whatever is driving you away from God, and that might not be for you. It's usually driving us away because we want to feel something. We want to feel, feel better about ourselves. And, and generally when we do that, anytime outside of God, we find that it doesn't satisfy uh, for long. And so how can we fix our eyes on Jesus? Two quick things that we're going to talk about. One, let us also, it says in verse 1, it says, if we're going to fix our eyes on Christ, we need to let us aside, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. We need to lay aside and we need to run with endurance. Those two ideas of fixing our eyes on Christ requires us to lay aside. I needed to lay aside that drive and that craving for porn. That was the thing that was keeping me from really understanding. Now, you wouldn't have known that looking at me. Looking at me, I was in church every Sunday. I was doing small group. I was going to a Bible college. I was planning to go into ministry. I helped run a camp ministry. But it's so easy in this world today to look all great on the outside, be all, but be all messed up on the inside. And that was me. I wasn't laying aside. And here's what was happening. Even though everybody else thought I was good, inside, I was dying. I was exhausted because it is hard to live a double life. Any of you like hiking? Anybody ever gone hiking? So my wife is from Montana. We go hiking every summer on these big hikes. And uh, every now and then family will come in. And there was this one kid that came. He's probably about, let's see, about 16, 17 years old. And uh, when you go on these big hikes up on, up on these mountains, I mean, they're, they're huge. They're like seven, eight-hour hikes uh, just for a day hike. And as, as we're going up, he would just run ahead of everybody. And then he'd look back and he'd go, what's taking you guys so long? I mean, he was that kind of a dude, you know, just a real jerk about everything. And so the uncles that were on the hike, because they were older like I am now, they weren't going as fast. And they were getting really mad at this jackrabbit. And so he, he got ahead, and, and what happened was one of the, my father-in-law would kind of get this guy's attention, this kid's attention, I think his name is Josh, get his attention, and the other two uncles would slip a few rocks into his backpack without him looking. <laughs> just enough not to notice, but just enough to just put in there to where... You know, over time, every time they stop, they slip in a few more and a few more and a few more. But by the end of the day, he is sweating like crazy, and they get to the top, and he's like the last one up. They're like, what took you so long, man? They're just giving it back at him. And so they sit down, and then they empty out the bag right in front of him full of rocks. Of course, he's pretty mad, but it served him right. You know, those rocks were put in by, by somebody else. And for a lot of us in this room, what I find that life is like a hike. And we're going up some big mountains in life. You guys are about to go up some huge mountains, finishing high school, getting into college. Getting, and the next 10 years of your life is like Everest. I mean, you're making, you're making decisions about your life that will affect the next 30, 40 years of your life. And it's really hard to make those decisions clearly and to feel good about that if you're constantly adding more rocks into your backpack. 
that sin that we hold on to that nobody else sees, that we think are hidden from everybody else's view, God knows, and he's sitting there going, listen, I, I want you to focus on me, but you've got you to gotta let go. And he's waiting for you. You don't have to hold on to that shame. You don't have to hold on to that, that, that feeling of, I can't let anybody else know. And for me, I hiked with those weights in my backpack for, for 10 years. And at any time, I think God was just sitting there, every time I would sit down just exhausted and coming to him asking for forgiveness and him going, would you just let go? Just let go. Now, I don't know what's on your quarter. I don't know what you're holding on to that God wants you to let go. You won't really fix your eyes on Christ until you let that go. Let that go. Second thing he says, once you let it go, once you drop the weight, uh, because listen, and let me just say this about it. our instinct is to hide. It's natural, especially with stuff that's inside, whether it's a struggle, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety. Our, 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 our inclination is to hide, and the power of addiction, any addiction, is secrecy. It grows in darkness. And that anxiety, that depression you're feeling, that struggle with comparison that you're feeling, to not let it out, it just grows bigger. It becomes a much bigger monster in a dark room of our heart. And Jesus is going, let it go. How do I do that? Well, that's that second point. I run with endurance. How many of you ever run an endurance race? It could be anything. It could be a 5K. It could be a triathlon. It could be how many? If you've run a 5K, would you stand up? If you've run a 5K or longer or farther, you, you run a 5K, big hand for running 5Ks. Can't even run. That's all right. I'm, I'm there. Not everybody's a runner, okay? Okay, if you've run a 10K or more, stay standing. 10K or more, which is about six miles, okay? How about a half marathon? Do we have any half marathon 13-milers in here? I had a triathlon in the last... I had an Ironman in the last one. Okay, how about a marathon? Anybody have done a marathon? One. You've done one marathon? You've done one marathon? Two marathons. Five marathons. That's awesome. Have you done an Ironman? No? Oh, don't talk to me, though. That's nothing. Come talk to me when you've done an Ironman, right? Here's the thing. Have you noticed about this about endurance races, that whenever you do an endurance race, those endurance races are never done unless you have a bunch of water stations around like, and fuel stations. Like any, anytime you've gone a marathon, I think we got a picture of them. Like there, there's all these little water stations that are around, um, yeah, right there. That, that, I mean, they have cups everywhere, and they have teams of people that are urging you on. That are, that are, you don't finish an endurance race without a ton of people behind you without a ton of people giving you fuel, giving you energy, that are cheering you on. When Paul is saying, run, or I don't know if it's Paul, the author of Hebrews is saying, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And we're not going to complete that race unless we have people beside us that are cheering us on. How many of you have swam more than a mile? Anybody swam more than a mile? You got one, you got a couple, okay. More than three miles. In one setting, not like in my life. I got vlogged. Okay, so we got some swimmers up here. Does anybody know what the record was for the longest swim by one person in one, in, in one in like continuous? It was 60 miles for either a man or a woman until Diana Nyad. Diana Nyad decided, I guess because she had nothing else to do, she's like, no one has ever swam 100 miles continuously. And so she decides, because, again, I don't know what possesses you. Um, I guess you've run out of other ideas that you need to do in your life. 
But listen to this. When Nyad hatched her plan, the open water swimming record for both men and women was 60 miles. She wanted to swim 100. After months of arduous training, she was ready. But with her went a team of guides for measuring the winds and the current and watching for obstacles. So she's swimming. It's like, oh, there's a stump right there. We better get that out of her way. She also had divers. Why would she need to have divers? I'm out at that point, okay? If you're saying we need to have divers for sharks, I'm done. But they had divers around her while she's swimming to make sure it's keeping clear of sharks. Like they're blocking, like, oh, there's a shark, let's poke it in the eye. I don't know what they're doing, uh, but it's keep her swimming. So they got divers for swimming. They had NASA experts on this swim for guidance on nutrition and endurance. She needed 1,100 calories per hour as she's swimming She lost, ready for this, in 100 miles, straight swimming, she lost 29 pounds. So if you're you're looking for the next great diet, 29 pounds in 24 hours, 100 miles. And trainers who talked her through uncontrollable shivers, nausea, hallucinations, and despair. She finished it. She went 102.5 miles. Everybody knows her name, but it took 51 other people along the way to make that happen. In the same way, guys, the Christian life is not a solo life. You get to have people that are in your life to be able to finish it, that know who you are, that know what that letter on that coin means. See, I I, I was not willing to let people know that struggle through high school. I didn't want to share it. I didn't want anyone to know. I wanted them to think that I was really good on the inside. And because of that, my shoulders got heavier, my heart got weightier, and I wasn't running after Christ. Didn't matter what I looked like on the outside. All the great adventures in life, when you think about life, always have some, it's always a team thing. Like you think about the great adventures throughout history, like the the people that crossed uh, from Missouri to the Pacific for the first time. Do you guys remember their names? It was Lewis and Clark, right? I think we've got a picture of them. It was Lewis and Clark. Okay, that was pretty good. Does anybody know who conquered Mount Everest for the first time? Anybody know the name? Yeah, Hillary, Edmund Hillary. But it wasn't just Hillary. Does anybody know who is Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay? Come on, guys. Don't you guys go to school? Nobody remembers the Sherpa, but the Sherpa basically carried everything for Tenzig Norgay. Okay, we're going to get it, make it a little bit easier. Like for fighting crime, right? It's Batman... And Robin, right? Batman and Robin. Or when we think about, um, we'll, go, we'll go into the Disney care. Don't put it up there yet. To battle the, the ice princess or, not, or the ice curse, it was Elsa and, aw, Anna, right? Okay, and I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but I'm going to test your Disney Channel knowledge. Like for the adventure of dealing with the high-rise penthouses, it was the sweet life with Zach and... All right. And the guys are like, Cody, I know it. I don't want to say it. Any high school musical fans out there? Yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't want it. None of this side of the room is like, nah, man. I'm not going to get my head in that game. Um, it was Troy and? No. No, it was Chad. That was who his bro was. It was Chad. It wasn't Gabriella. I mean, that was his girlfriend. But I'm talking about getting through life. You need your bros with you. You need your your huddle. You need your team. It was Troy and... Get your head back in the game, ladies. Okay? It It was Troy and Chad. My daughter is so happy that I mentioned that one right now. 
the same thing is true in Scripture, is that when you look in Scripture, let's get them off the screen for just a minute. No one, no the ladies can't concentrate right now. Um, I want to close with this. When you look at Scripture, somebody always follows the and when things are going well. When God sends people out, sends them on an adventure, it's Adam and Eve, the first adventure to multiply the earth. Um, when, you, when, you go, when, you, when you go through Scripture and you start seeing it was, when it was David, when he was starting off, it was David and who was his friend? David and Jonathan. Somebody in, earlier said David and Goliath. Like, Goliath wasn't David's friend. I, they weren't pals. They didn't hang out with each other. Right? No, that, it was David and Jonathan. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus, when he starts his mission, the first thing before he even starts preaching, before he, he gets a group of 12 guys around him, is Jesus and the disciples. It was Peter and John. It was Paul and Barnabas or Silas. There's somebody that always follows the and in Scripture. And when no one follows the and in Scripture, things go south real quick. It was Samson and nobody. And he had troubles with Delilah. Later on in David's life, after, he, after Jonathan had, had died and all the mighty men went off to battle, it was David and he was alone. And he messed up with Bathsheba. When you don't have anybody that follows the and in your life, that really knows you, that really is in your life, things go south quick. Isolated people create chaos. I I created a lot of chaos in my own life because I didn't let anybody else know what was really going on. And what I like about Temple Bible is they make that easy. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. If you don't have a small group leader, find one. If you don't have a guy at your school that is also fixing their eyes on Jesus, be that guy for somebody else and start something. Do you have a group of people that you meet with every now and then that know what's going on in your life? What are you holding on to that Jesus says drop? Are you focusing on Jesus or are you focusing on that small thing that you think will satisfy you? I know for me, it wasn't until I finally confessed to a dear friend, to a couple dear friends, that I was able to start winning the battle against porn. If I kept fighting that fight alone, it would have, it, who knows where it would have taken me. So my challenge to us today, the one thing we're to never quit, fix our eyes on Christ. How do we do that? You've got to let go of the things that, that easily entangle us and burden us. How do I do that? I run with endurance. I get a team around me to help me fix my eyes on Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for these attentive um, young men and young women. Lord, as I look at them and I, I think back to where, when I was at that age, and to think of how many decisions I made that set the course of my life. And so, Father, I pray that they would realize they don't have to get their act together to, to be able to follow you. We're going to be messed up individuals, and yet you still love us. We're going to be inconsistent. We're going to be sinners. We're not going to make all the right moves, and that's okay. Because if we can fix our eyes on you, you cleanse us. You help us get over that stuff that holds us back. The Lord, it requires something of us. It requires us to trust you. It requires us to follow you. It requires us to let go of those things that ultimately won't satisfy us. I pray that would happen for these young men and women. I pray, Lord, that you would be raising up a generation (coughs) 
that seeks you in a culture that is not seeking you. May you give them the courage to stand firm. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you all so much. Oh, you want to close up? You got it. Give. Well, I was going to say, y'all give them a y'all give them a hand, and for the bands. Yeah. Thanks.